I had a friend when I was in uh, about the <clears throat> fifth grade who was uh, Southern Baptist, and I was uh, going to a Presbyterian church with my parents, but it was a Presbyterian church. It wasn't uh, PCA. They weren't even around at that point, uh, but it was one that was not preaching the Word of God. I was over at my friend's house one afternoon, and uh, there was a man there who, uh, whose name was Arthur Blessett, B-L-E-S-S-I-T. Some of you may have heard of him. He was uh, famous at that time, well, he was famous among Southern Baptists, at least, at that time, uh, as an evangelist, and he would, uh, he, was wa- he would walk across the country and carrying a cross, and then he would preach in churches uh, in the evenings at their revivals and evangelistic services. Well, <clears throat> we, I was playing with my friend, and we walked in uh, to his house, and here was this man. I, I didn't know who he was, and uh, my friend's mom introduced me, and the first words out of his mouth are, are you saved? That was my reaction. It was like, <laughs> I had no clue. I had never heard a phrase like that. And after a moment of awkward silence, uh, my friend's mom said, oh yeah, he's a good Presbyterian boy. Well, we skedaddled out of there as uh, quickly as we could, and I said, what was that? What did he mean? Are you saved? And my friend said, don't you know what that means? And I said, I, I have no clue. I've never heard that before. And so he... Uh, did the best he could to explain it uh, to me in, in his way. Now, fast forward, my parents eventually uh, left that church and went to a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church. I learned what it was to be saved. I ended up going to a Southern Baptist college and then our denomination seminary, and when I became a pastor, I determined in my own mind that I didn't want any children or young people in any church I ever served to not know what that meant. And so today, if you're visiting with us, You may be wondering, what do these uh, kind of Presbyterians believe? You may be wondering for yourself, what does that mean? I'm not sure I would have the answer myself if somebody said that to me. The passage that is before us addresses uh, that very issue in what is probably the most succinct way 
in, in the whole of Scripture. And so let's give our attention to the Word of God. We're going to begin with verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him of whom they've never heard? And and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, uh, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you, you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown Myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would simply ask that you give us ears to hear. To hear from you. And that your spirit would teach us. And we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now we're going to get to the core of uh, this passage, but as he, he starts out, he he gives this standard uh, in verse 5. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Now that may bring a question to your mind. 
Because all through Romans, all through the New Testament, all through the Scripture, we've been saying, wait a minute. It isn't righteousness that is achieved by the law. In fact, it's not by works, lest anyone should boast. For Moses, verse 5, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So I just want to admit, right up front, it's difficult to know, know exactly what Paul means here. Saying, well, why are you up there and we're out here listening to you speculate? Well, it, let, let me tell you a, a couple of possibilities here. And uh, if you look at the commentators, I've told you some of the commentators that, uh, that I have used, uh, uh, they're all over the place on this. And there are some places in Scripture where that's just the case. A couple of possibilities uh, one is it's possible that he's saying, look, if you can really keep the law completely, you will be saved. I don't have a problem with that. Because what that does is anyone who is honest and grasps the, the standard of the law knows, okay, well, that leaves me out. And it points us toward Christ because he's the only one that could or did keep the law. There's another possibility that, that I, I think is fascinating, and that is that the Pharisees had this tradition that if any one Pharisee perfectly kept the law for a whole day, that his purity would be such that God would then send the Messiah. Now, I don't know what they, they thought. In other words, that person would be so righteous that he would merit favor from God. But if they really believed that tradition, they too understood that no, no one has even kept the law for a whole day because they were waiting for the Messiah and he had not come. So either of those move us on to what he says in verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, bring Christ up from death. Here's what faith does know. We can't drag Christ out of heaven. He's already come on his own. And we cannot pay for our own sins. Christ has already done that. In fact, there's nothing that we can do to achieve our own salvation. Absolutely more than law-keeping is necessary for salvation. Now, he, he goes on to emphasize the word's not hidden. It's been given to you. It is close to you, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
So, if one is a Christian, where do you find the word of faith? In their mouth and heart. Now, it's true that someone can profess faith without it really being there. You can, you can say you have faith and it not really be in our heart. In fact, con- confessing Christ with our mouth is not some kind of a magic incantation. It's not, it's not some kind of a fire insurance that, well, okay, if I, if I only say this sinner's prayer, then, then maybe that will make sure that if that happens to be true, that I'll be okay. And we can't think, if we can just get somebody to pray this certain prayer, they'll be okay. The truth is that there are many that have uttered a sinner's prayer verbally that never believed in their heart. As I look back in my ministry, I suspect especially early on, there were some that I led to pray a sinner's prayer. And because I was uh, never able to get back with them again, there was no discipleship, no interest in spiritual things, I, I suspect it wasn't genuine, at least at that point. So Paul is saying it's gotta be in both places, in our heart and in our words. Verse nine, he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's that's the portion that I was telling you earlier is, is maybe the most succinct place in the scripture in terms of describing the human process. Now, uh, the, the outward process of coming to Christ. All through Romans, we've been seeing salvation and what's behind and, and salvation from God's perspective and his sovereignty and so on. But here we see that what our uh, in involvement, not in terms of earning, but the normal process when we come to Christ. Think about that initial question. If someone says to you, what, what must I do to be saved? Well, it's belief, and that's not just intellectual faith. That's not just head knowledge. We always go over to James uh, 2 where it talks about the demons. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So, These two things, the demons can say, Jesus is Lord. He went to the cross, and yes, he walked out of that tomb. Demons know that, absolutely. It makes them tremble. So believing is not just up in the head. It's a matter of trust. And it's not, not blind or unthinking 
You may wonder why Romans and much of the New Testament is so full of theology. I mean, as we've gone through Romans, it's theological terms, theological concepts, and so on. You know, do you ever just think, well, just give me Jesus. That's all I need. Well, here's part of the reason. J. Gresham Machen said this, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. The greater our progress in theology, the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. Now that's from a theologian. He's saying it doesn't make it more complicated the more we know of him. It makes it simpler. John Calvin, the, the theologian, describing, said, faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of, of Christ. It's not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. So notice the two things that, that he says uh, must be believed. Jesus is Lord. Now, one commentator said this basically spoke to the Jew and to the the Gentile, uh, the, uh, the word Lord, uh, no, because no Jew would do this who had not really trusted Christ. Because the word Lord for them was always used of God. So they wouldn't just throw that around. But no Gentile would do that who had not ceased worshiping the emperor as Lord. So this, this distinguishes, and, and what, what that commentator's saying is that to, to really say and believe that Jesus is Lord sets you apart from your prior life where you had some other Lord. And then the second one, that is God raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection dead man got up and walked out of the tomb. Now, I hope that this passage is, is a comfort to you in this way. It's not that complicated. Last Sunday night at our uh, community group, we were talking about how we probably make things too complicated when it comes to, to salvation In, in your worship guide, you, you saw that we have an inquirer's class coming up. In our, uh, uh, we have the inquirer's classes for those that are interested in joining St. Andrews or finding out more about St. Andrews. And we have a workbook that we give out. And on one of the pages, here's the statement that is made. To join St. Andrews Presbyterian Church, one does not have to adhere to the distinctives of the Presbyterian Church in America, such as Calvinism, covenant theology, predestination, infant baptism, and so on. And then we, we go on and show the vows that we take that are along the lines of this passage. So what we're saying is that 
we don't want the door to membership here at St. Andrews to be more narrow than the door to heaven or wider, either one. And so, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the basis for being a member at St. Andrew's Presbyterian. It is that simple. So look, look what he goes on to keep emphasizing, and that is salvation is for all who believe. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone <coughs> who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here is Paul continuing to address the Jewish-Gentile issue, and he's making sure to make clear one more time that salvation is the same for the Jew as it is for the Gentile. There is no distinction. So where's the application for us? Well, there is no distinction when it comes to salvation between denominations, between Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans, it's the same standard. There is no distinction between races, red or yellow, black or white. It's the same salvation. There's no distinction between nationalities, between American and African and Hispanic and Russian and Chinese. There is no distinction, and there is no one behaviorally beyond salvation. Whatever you've done will not keep you from being redeemed by Christ if you call on his name. For everyone, verse 13, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, just a little side note. Remember where we've been. We're in Romans 10. Just a few paragraphs earlier, we were in Romans 9. Romans 9 is talking about the sovereignty of God and election and uh, you know how he works, how he is absolutely sovereign. At the end of Romans 8, from the beginning of salvation to the end, God is sovereign. And some, it, it blows their mind and say, well, what if I'm not the elect? What if, what if so-and-so is not the elect and so on? It's a natural question. And so I direct you to that same Apostle Paul who makes it very simple here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. This is from our end of things. This is all we need to worry about. If you're not trusting in Christ but you desire to, 
You don't need to worry whether you're the elect or any of that. If you desire to call on the name of the Lord, do so, and you will be saved. This is man's responsibility. So much of Romans has been talking about salvation from God's perspective. So we've learned about all these theological words, justification, sanctification, glorification. Here Paul is getting down and dirty and explaining the human instruments God uses to bring about salvation. And he's, he's working backward uh, to the preacher. Verse 14. Here's, here's the human process ordinarily. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a quote from Isaiah. Now, if you're anything like me, and you look at your own feet, you're probably not saying, oh, yes, how beautiful. <laughs> so when I read this, I think, yeah, they're not beautiful because the way they look, there's another reason they're beautiful. The image here is of a runner being sent from a battle back to his home. And in his fortress home, there would be sentries. There would be people that were watching to see what's the news of the battle that's far away. And the experienced sentry would know what kind of news they were getting. Because they would, they would see that, that runner coming and if things weren't going in the, well in the battle, you could see in how he trudged along in weariness, not even wanting to deliver that news. But on the other hand, if things were going well, the experienced sentry could tell from a distance because uh, that runner would be floating along, running at, at his top speed. There would be excitement in his face because he was bringing the good news. And that's what this is saying. How beautiful his feet because he's bringing this beautiful news. Now who is the preacher? It talks about The preacher here. The word there is simply herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, to proclaim. And you got to hear this. It's not limited to what I'm doing up here or anyone who stands in this pulpit is doing. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about any of us who share that good news. We are heralds of the good news. That's everyone who is in Christ. You can be that instrument that God uses to bring someone to himself, that human instrument. How beautiful, how privileged we are to carry that good news.
and not news of defeat. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so ask yourself, to whom am I a herald? Who am I reporting this good news to? Who has God put in my life that needs this good news? And then ask him to give you beautiful feet that will carry it. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? This is speaking of the Jews. Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out over all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And by the way, next week we'll talk more about Israel. Did not, uh, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who do, did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That's the Gentiles. They didn't know about salvation. They didn't know about the sacrifices and all these things that were pointing to the Messiah. But that good news was given to them as well. But of Israel, and this is where we'll start next week, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This week, Connie and I were uh, making a purchase, and we were dealing with a, a sales manager who was from New York and proud of it. And whose last name was, uh, I would, let me just say, identifiably Jewish. And he was proud of that as well. When he found out that uh, I'm a pastor, of course, he had to tell me a story. That's always a little nerve-wracking when someone says, oh, you're a pastor? I've got a story for you. This is what he told me. And he was a, a, a man who was a, a veteran of Vietnam, Purple Heart, thanked him for his service. But he said, you know, I, uh, I grew up Jewish. I went to a Jewish school, and uh, I was bar mitzvahed. And I still go to the temple on the holy days. He said, well, I'm married to Southern Baptist. And many years ago, early in our marriage, I said, I'd like to go to church with you. He said, I didn't know what went on in church. I just wanted to see what went on in church. And so... They went to church, and he said it was all very nice, and, you know, he told me some of the things that went on in the service and everything. He said, I had no clue. He said, up in the, in the middle, there was this 
you know, window with a curtain in front of it. Of course, it was a baptistry. And he said, I didn't know what was back there. And uh, so we, we kind of hung around, and we were like the last ones out. And the pastor uh, said to me when I got back there, would you like to be saved? He explained what the baptistry said. We can baptize you. Would you like to be saved? And this man that was sharing it with me said that, uh, you know, he had some uh, scary times in Vietnam, but nothing like that. He said he went into full-out panic attack. And he said, my shirt was soaked like I had just jumped in a swimming pool. And he said, I took off running and ran away. Now, he laughed about it, and we smiled. But because I was in the middle of this passage... I thought about this verse all day long. God says, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If you're in Christ, you need to know this. You were doing the exact same thing he did. You took off running the other direction. And the hound of heaven pursued you and gave you a new heart and enabled you to turn and believe and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Yes, Lord, we were runners away from you. And perhaps even today there's someone with that same feeling at this moment. Lord, we, we pray that you would capture our hearts because we can't capture them ourselves. Enable us not just with our mouth, but with our heart, to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.